The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, y'all. Just a quick heads up. We did run into some technical difficulties when recording this episode, and as a result, uh, my audio does sound a little washed out. Uh, just for the first 20 minutes or so, I did all I could to clean it up. Um, and like I said, it's only for the first part of the podcast. Everything following that uh, does sound crisp. Uh, so thanks for understanding. Uh, and let's get into it. More short hops and tall tales coming at you in three, two, one. Well, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm thrilled to be back again with Brandon Riddle, as we are all set to give you another uh, episode just jam-packed full of, of good baseball content. And believe it or not, Brandon, this is episode number 28. 28? And and I think this is the first uh, show where we don't actually have live baseball being played that week. <laughs> in the offseason, that would be a big... Because now we're in the off season, which is the longest season of all the seasons. Also, the worst season. Yes, the longest and the worst. The gods are cruel in just that way. But uh, we're not cruel. This is gonna be a fun little episode. We got some fun topics going on. Yeah, uh, we're, we're gonna be talking about the big news in baseball this week. Uh, kind of put it in some retrospective. Pocket full of posies, of course, with the retirement <laughs> of one Buster Posey. Talking about him. Not, not nicely done with the the wordplay there. You know, I good. I put that in the notes, and then next to it, I I wrote, you know I just was expecting for for you to either just just roast me for it, but but I guess we're going with it. <laughs> you, we've done this long enough. You should know I yeah, would love pocket full of posies. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, and after that, of course, we got a pickle jar, and then home sweet home, talking about weird stuff in baseball stadiums. All right. That sounds like a great, uh, and, and I'd like to point out that episode number 28, uh, talking about number 28, uh, you know, we clearly planned this ahead of time, right? Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were just pros like that. Yeah. We had it all, 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 all weeks in advance. Anyway, um, it looks like going into, uh, and I'll address the elephant in the room. Yeah. We've got a whole episode about Buster Posey and I'm, I'm sitting here uh, with the yeah. ready to crack into it. But before we get into that, it looks like you've prepared a trivia question. Yes, sir. So again, it's Buster orientated. Uh, so in 2008, he was picked fifth overall. Can you name any of the players taken before him in that draft? Oh man, I honestly, I, I should because this is a draft that I, I've 
probably looked at the most in that uh really you know in that era because there are a lot of i mean there are a lot of a lot of good big guys in there um and i'm see my issue though is that i really i also struggle sometimes with you know certain guys around the same three four year span right you know, you know it's kind of hard to say okay was remember and, was this guy 2009 was he 2000 and especially because if they're drafted in 2008 like they're not all going to come up in 2012 they're gonna be different yeah. years so they're gonna mix it up the draft years it's it's that, confusing so i don't blame you that and honestly like i'm <laughs> sounds bad i'm just horrible at, at keeping track of like players ages too because it's also something when you consider that not everyone enters the league at the same time you could have somebody like Buster Posey who came up as a very, very young guy. You could have someone like Chase Utley who came up as a 27-year-old or 26-year-old, right? You know, so everyone kind of... Everyone they have their own paths to the majors. Time. So you don't necessarily always relate a certain player with the people, the other players in his draft class. All of this is to stall. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, well, we, 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 we can just go for it. So Give, uh, give me one. Just give me one. Yeah. Number one, uh, Tim Beckham. Tim Beckham. Yeah, that's a name. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I always kind of liked Beckham, and in my mind, he's still young, but that was a long time ago now. Uh, number okay. two, Pedro Alvarez. Wow. Uh, he's yeah. on the Pirates, right? Yeah, he Pirates for a while. Okay. Uh, number three, Eric Hosmer. Sure. That okay, okay. Okay. So that that's right. The Royals. Yeah, the 2008 draft. I think the Royals did pretty well because that was a lot of those years were the. You know, kind of the, the foundation mm-hmm. for that 2014, 2015 team. Bingo. Yeah, that makes sense. And then right before Buster, Brian Matsus. So, wow. There we go. That's, uh, that's kind of rough. I mean, just think it. I mean, there's so many, so many of those stories too, because the MLB draft. I mean, just so many. Yeah, it's, yeah like Mike Trout was drafted, what, 12th, was it? Something like that? Yeah, something, 16th? something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's, 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 it's yeah. always. Anyway, wow, that's a that's a good way to get get things going. Bring it, Gordon Beckham, <laughs> or I mean, excuse me, Tim Beckham. Wow, that is a name I Tim Tim, not even Gordon. Yeah, Tim not Beckham, even Gordon. Yet, wow, and Buster Posey has outlasted probably all of them, or at least almost all of them at this point. I would think he's is Hosmer still in the league? Hosmer is. He's on the Padres. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, that's yeah, right. There. That's right. That's wild. <laughs> all right, so episode twenty-eight. We're talking number twenty-eight. Brandon, I'll let you take the floor as we talk about Buster Posey. So, Noah and I have very mixed feelings about Buster Posey, obviously being in the same division, uh, seeing him dozens of times a year, watching him tear our teams apart. But he's just one of those players that, even though you may dislike the team that he's playing for and not want them to win the World Series, you just respect the guy. It's terrible. Um, Sure. Yeah, Buster Posey is definitely at the top of that list, along with people like, I got to say it, Clayton Kershaw, I guess. <laughs> uh, so he's just a special, incredibly special player, not just on the field, but off the field as well, and his high character and just the way he composes himself. It's a wonderful person. So it was mixed feelings, of course, when he retired this week. So I, I kind of figured what we do is – as if this was a player played in the 1920s we know nothing about, kind of dive into a little bit and see exactly what okay. he did before the majors and what made him special. Okay, I, I like it. He's, he's, I mean, it fits the name. It fits in. Yep, Buster Posey. Because that is, that's an A-plus baseball name. Uh, so, like, you have in 1882, you have players Tip O'Neill, Pop Snyder, Jumbo Latham, Buster Posey. Oh, wait. See, it fits so well. <laughs> it would. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that's not his actual name. His real name might be better. 
Gerald Dempsey Buster Posey III. With that, you had to be a baseball player. <laughs> uh, but Posey was always special on the Diamonds. Um, his high school, he set the record by batting 544 in a single season. And he also pitched and got a 1.06 ERA. That's insane. Wow. And it was given about every single award imaginable throughout the country while graduating with a 3.94 GPA. Great. <laughs> what was there anything that he like was he I don't know was did he struggle with anything at this point like uh, so all his coaches in high school and college all said he could assign pro right out of high school uh, but instead he elected to go to Florida State uh, for three years where he did more of the same things in his rookie season just his rookie <laughs> season hit 346 and won a silver slugger as as wow. a as a freshman that's absolutely insane yeah. And in his final year, he led the conference in batting average, home runs, RBIs, and like he did in high school, won every single major player award of the year. Uh, and, and the coach at the time, Mike Martin, just gushed over Posey, calling him a special, special person, and that there was never a better team player than Buster Posey, which sums it up so nicely for Posey, especially as a catcher. Yeah, and that's very consistent with what we've heard from his teammates and, and coaches as a pro. Yeah. Um, and so he was drafted, of course, fifth, as we just found out earlier. And in his first partial season of professional baseball in that 2008 season, um, he raked at the rookie league level, hitting again 385. Yeah. He did so well that the Giants invited him up to AT&T Park, uh, not as a player, but just to watch and be you know, amongst the players in the final weekend of the season. And, of course, walking into AT&T Park, he said, it was one of the most beautiful bar parks I've ever been in, which, again, I get. It's a very good-looking yeah. ballpark. It's gorgeous. I'll give him that. Mm. So 2009 was his, then his first full professional season. Um, and Posey did Posey things, hitting 321 at AAA. A year ago, he was in college. And at that time, one year later, he's hitting over 300 at AAA. That's incredible. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> and and he's he's 22. Like, I, I can't yeah. imagine. Like, I'm, I'm 23 right now. And I can't imagine, like, just, just how fast he's, like, these athletes move from high school to college to, to the majors. It's, it's yeah, and, and it is really rare that you have someone, even yeah. even in college, like you still get some seasoning typically in college because you're more trained up than the high schooler, right. but it's just so unusual. Um, and the, actually the, the ball club, they were planning on like a relatively slow upbringing to the majors. He's a young kid at a, you know, a highly difficult position. And they had at the time, Benji Molina, uh, you know, behind the plate. <laughs> so it made sense. <laughs> Uh, but as he's raking in AAA, uh, Benji goes down with a leg injury. So, sure, they call it Buster Posey. All right. So, Benji almost got Wally Pipped. He was very close to getting <laughs> Wally Pipped. Um, but he only, because uh, it's at the end of the season, Buster only played in seven games. Okay. So, not, not too much there. But at least he got, you know, the cup of coffee. Right, right. Uh, so, even though he got in the majors, the Giants, they still went into ease Posey and... Um, other blue chip prospect, Madison Bumgarner, into the majors. Uh, so they kept Benji Molina on for the 2010 season. And they even had the internal conversations about bringing in uh, Padre, here's a name, uh, Tor- Tor- uh, sorry, Yorbit Toriaba, wow. remember that guy, and Miguel Olivo. Wow, I have not heard of Yorbit uh, Toriaba in years. It's been a long time. <laughs> wow, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so then it was brought on uh, Yorbit uh, for the 2011 season. But as we know, they did not. 
Uh, so Posey started the season again in AAA, and local newspapers were all over the guy. <laughs> uh, so they ran ads in the local town, uh, things like, see him before, before he's gone, or see Buster play. They, they were high up on him. And they also did a lot of promotional material. So somewhere out there, there's a Buster Posey gardening hoe floating around. Because <laughs> uh, they had a special, because Buster Posey was in the farm system. So gardening hoe. It's it's honestly wild to me. Like we we should really do an episode on just weird minor league promotions. I think this is something we've talked about. Oh my god! I think that's an entirely another podcast altogether. But yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so those ads saying you know see him before he's gone were right because just two months into the season, barely two months in the season, Benji Molina he was struggling hard at the plates. <laughs> so so much for the gradual you know upbringing. Up comes Posey. And that's when the Posey era officially began. Because in his first major league season, he went nuts. And if you're following the storyline here, that's not surprising at all. <laughs> Doing what he does. Uh, it's just in his first season, he had a 21-game hit streak, one short of the giant record. His OPS plus, 133, which in theory says like 33% better than the batter in that year. Uh, got on base 35% of the time, won rookie of the year, and finished 11th in MVP voting. Again, in his rookie season. Oh. Rookie. <laughs> and he won a World Series. <laughs> the first championship for the club since 1954. So you mentioned this, that at this point, Buster Posey is 22. And he is catching, calling a game for $126 million man, Barry Zito, which was a record at the time. A two-time Cy Young winner, Tim Lincecum. And then rounded out with Matt King, Jonathan Sanchez, and Madison Bumgarner. 22 years old, handling a pitcher's pitching staff. Again, incredible. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. And he had some ties to Johnny Bench. Uh, so they they kind of grew up in the same vicinity of each other. And him being a great catcher in high school and college, Johnny Bench reached down and kind of formed that relationship. And uh, Bench likes telling the story of Game 2 uh, in San Francisco-Atlanta Divisional Game Series. Uh, so there's a pop-up in foul territory, and uh, Buster and Pablo Sandoval collided hard. And it brought both of them down in pain. So first off, Bench said, uh, Posey caught the ball even after that intense collision. Uh, then Posey immediately jumped up, looking both base runners back to the bags. And only when the uh, runner called time did Posey drop to his knees in pain. Like he wasn't feeling, but he still got up to make sure the play was right. going to be fine. And then uh, Bench noted that the training staff, when they came out, they went to Sandoval first because nobody cares about the catcher. They're supposed to be durable. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a, a great story, too. And honestly, sadly, yeah, the catcher's fine. He, he the catcher's fine. Back. Of course, of course, guy. the catcher's going to jump up and throw the ball back yeah. and get somebody out. Just what they're <laughs> supposed to do. Oh, he broke a knee? That's fine. But yeah, That's just one great, of those things. That's a great story, though. Uh, so from that first season, we know exactly how it went. Seven-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger, 2012 MVP, and three-time World Series champion all while playing one of the most demanding positions in all the sports. He's he's an absolute luck Hall of Famer, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get any argument from me. I I don't know if you're expecting an argument from me. No, right no. <laughs> if, if you were going to argue, I would have just left the podcast and found a new co-host. You would have just let me, you know, I think it would have been better to just let me bury myself. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing more that I can really say that you didn't sum up. Um, yeah, Buster Posey is one of the, the best baseball players I've ever seen. He's probably the best catcher I've ever seen. And yeah. he's really one of those players that I disliked a lot of Giants players, as is my my duty. Mm. I could never bring myself to dislike Buster Posey. I, I You can't because he's no. just... 
he's he's one incredible just athletically too he's a great leader and you know i think that that story there at at the end really highlights the third point is he's a gamer you know he's he, he he's sacrificing his body for his team i mean he's putting it all on the line to win baseball games and that's that's all you can ask for from somebody over over you know 10 plus years in in major oh, league yeah. baseball and as much as he you know beat up on the dodgers throughout his career and, oh my goodness you know i what I am going to remember most most is is all those matchups that the you know all of those matchups really like those legendary matchups that he had with with Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw won most of them, but it's it's really all of those moments that contributed to not only like the petty rivalry that we have going on, but but also just to baseball as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you listed a bunch of his achievements, but I think one that we kind of didn't mention is he fundamentally, or excuse me. He really did fundamentally change the position of catcher. Oh yeah. Um, in that, you know, now he's he's one of the key reasons that catchers are not allowed to be just, you know, run over like, you know, football players, right? It, it's it's when Buster Posey got hurt. You know, they instituted that law where you can't just take out a, you know, in in, in truck and run over an unsuspecting catcher. Um, and obviously that's. <laughs> Not something that I'm sure Buster Posey would have loved to happen in his career. <laughs> um, and obviously it was. It, it was really unfortunate that it took some an, an accident and an, a huge injury like what happened to Buster um, to make that change. But I am saying that that is something else that you know we keep in mind is that few players do change the actual rules of baseball. And that's just, that's just kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I will say though, I think the most memorable Buster Posey moment for me was not even a Buster Posey moment <laughs> at all. It was a Hunter Pence moment, and it's when Hunter Pence hit a home run, and uh, I don't remember which of the uh, San Francisco announcers called it, uh, you know, Kruko, um probably, and he said something like, "He's like, and that was you know, home run by Buster Posey," thinking that Hunter Pence yeah. was Buster Posey in the moment, as we all do at, at times. He says, Buster Posey's good friend, Hunter Pence. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the funniest sound bites ever because he, you know, it's so relatable. And it's just so great. And Hunter Pence, obviously, both guys just thought it was hilarious. Hunter mm-hmm. Pence went by, you know, Posey's good friend for a while. It's, it's, it's just one of those things that sticks out to me as we're, we're talking about his career. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Buster Posey. Madison Bumgarner, I have different, slightly different opinions on, but Buster Posey truly is. <laughs> if, if you made it, ha- if you made a team of like like a decade team, um, I you would be very hard pressed to put um, anyone but Posey at catcher. And oh yeah, like like including Molina, like bust like like for what Buster provided on both sides of the ball, I don't think there's a better catcher in baseball during that time period. No, uh, especially peak and longevity, even though he only played 10 years for 2010s. No, he's definitely the catcher of the decade, hands down. And it's it really and it it just highlights one of the issues that we have with Hall of Fame voting, (laughs) which is just that the fact that this is even a question that Buster Posey would be a Hall of Famer is ridiculous. Yeah, like like something needs to be done. Uh, specifically to make it easier for catchers to be inducted because there's other guys that deserve to be in there. Joe Bauer. Uh, Joe, you know, Joe Mauer. Yeah. You know, there's so yeah, the Buster Posey, of course, surefire Hall of Famer. It's not even a debate. That's what I got. <laughs> Perfect. 
yeah, very, very grateful to have watched him uh, beat the the heck out of the Dodgers for the oh, last. Okay, so, so really quick, um, I looked at this all the stats. He played the most games against Dodgers, one hundred sixty seven games. So you got a full season of looking at Buster, wow. and he only hit two eighty eight off you. <laughs> Still, over a season, two eighty eight is pretty good. Yeah, he uh, faced the Diamondbacks like one hundred sixty one times and hit like. 350 or something like that against us so you know I mean, whatever hey this is the 2010 <laughs> diamondbacks we're better <laughs> in theory in theory um yeah so uh anything else you got on buster posey um no i think i said everything that could ever be said ever about were posey you surprised when he announced his retirement yeah i was uh he just put up a fantastic season last year uh, but I, I guess he did. He didn't play in 2020 out of COVID uh, fears, and so I, I'm willing to bet having a year off with his family really shaded his idea of, you know, I can spend all this time with family as opposed to traveling on the road. And so in retirement, he's going to go live with his uh, wife's family in Georgia. So I wasn't surprised. I knowing that if I knew of him, like personally, I bet I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but from a baseball fan perspective, definitely surprised. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it really it took me aback too because I, I was expecting him to come back, um, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it, it yeah, I, I just because he was so good, but I also really respect, you know, him choosing to go out on a high note, and yeah. I think that to have to just stick around and put up some, and I'm not saying that he would put up mediocre seasons, but I think we've we've very much seen ball players that's very past their their prime continue to amass mm-hmm. counting stats and i i don't know it it, it yeah, i'm kind of glad that that we got to see buster posey go out looking like buster posey and not looking right like as opposed to like willie mays on the mets yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly um is so beyond posey is there a player retirement that kind of like hit you especially hard or, or made you feel kind of old oh that that hit me especially hard mm. so all the ones that retired that kind of hurt me i i knew were happening uh, most of those would be like from my favorite boyhood team, the 2001 Diamondbacks. Like when Luis Gonzalez stepped away, we we all knew that was coming. Um, Randy Johnson, Miguel Bautista, all, all that. So I haven't been surprised. Nothing's caught me off guard. Um, but I know when Granky goes, that's going to hit me pretty hard. You know, I just, that was, I really wanted to talk about that. Like, <laughs> you know, because I just, I want another year as that Granky. That that was also he was also yeah. on my list in the sense that you know it's coming, and I just it's like Ichiro. The game's just going to be different without that one. Did hurt. That's right. Ichiro was a hurt retirement. Ichiro when when I I wrote that discussion question down. Obviously, there's Clayton Kershaw, and I've already said you know four podcasts worth of words about Clayton Kershaw on here, so I won't bore everyone again. But beyond Clayton Kershaw. Um, Ichiro, Ichiro, when Ichiro retired, that was, that was like my childhood. <laughs> like that was like yeah. the end of my childhood. I feel like was. I, I still always hear the call in my head. A laser beam throw by Ichiro. <laughs> when I think of, uh, and it's it's wild. When I think of some of my earliest baseball memories, it's you know seeing Ichiro hit that inside the park home run in the at the All Star game, AT&T, yeah, yeah, park. Um, watching, of course, I just had it in my brain, and then it. it <laughs> just all the throws, just everything Ichiro Ichiro was to baseball is just it's something that we've missed. All right, well, unfortunately, we had a our, our recording system Zencaster had a bit of a hiccup, 
Um, so we don't remember exactly where we were talking about uh, these players, but we did talk about Zach Greinke and Ichiro and just the effects of, you know, well, Zach Greinke's pending retirement. We don't know when or if that's going to happen. He could pitch forever, I suppose. Um, but is there anyone else that, that kind of sticks out from past or present to you um, that you're dreading possibly? Me, I, I know just just of current players. Juan Soto is gonna bother me a lot when he retires. Well, he's he's still sixteen, man. Exactly. It's it's he he was the first player that was younger than me. And oh, I know that's gonna that's gonna oh, be one of those you poor thing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> speaking of what, just Justin Upton. Um, I remember when he was selected number one overall pick, and I think he was like a year, maybe I think he's just like a year or two older than I am. Uh, so when he got called up, it was like, hey, there's hope. Look at them go. Oh, I'll be in the major leagues one day too. Um, of course, he played great for the Diamondbacks. And now, like 15 years later, he's still hovering around in the majors. Uh, so when he goes, it's going to be a sign of the times for me, especially. Justin Upton was such a fun Diamondback. Oh, he was so great. <laughs> he was so great. I also remember just kind of along the lines of guys that I remember their debuts, Jason Hayward. I remember he hit a home run in his first, and I think I might have talked about this on the podcast, but I remember watching him hit a home run in his first ever MLB at bat with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And now he's a veteran. And I know what has what has happened. What that was that was like three years ago. What happened? <laughs> like, um, and now you're seeing all your favorite players become managers or bench coaches or things like that. Uh, Craig Council is one of them for me, definitely. Growing up watching him, and now he's managing the Brewers. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's and and people say that about Dave Roberts too, and it's oh, just yeah, it's it's. Weird. I, I bet you the weird thing is some people think that about Dusty Baker. I guarantee you, oh, there's a couple sure. fans out there. It's like oh, I remember Dusty as a second baseman in the 1954 season. Well, our our friend, our, we we talked to our friend Fred, uh, Mister. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that's he's got a, his own fun perspective on seeing guys that you know you you see come up as players turn into into managers, but uh, anyway questioning our own mortality here on short hops and tall tales uh, we'll be right back uh, after a short word from our spot hey alex fast here and thanks for listening to this podcast on the pitcher list podcast network if you're a fan consider supporting all of us by getting a po plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff plus you can hang out with our incredible pitcher list community it's basically a baseball sanctuary year round for as low as eight dollars a month you can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back. <laughs> was that was that a dark segue? I feel like that was a dark segue. <laughs> no, we're good. Existential crisis, you know, par for the course here. All right, all right. Um, so uh, with that, let's pop open the pickle jar. All right. So the word for today. Uh, what are we talking about, Brandon? We're talking about tools of ignorance, as this baseball term we're going to figure out today tools of ignorance and i i i don't believe that's an insult <laughs> no it's not well i mean 
It's a backhand the compliment, certainly. <laughs> there you go. Um, so it sounds like you know what the tools of ignorance are. I know what the tools of ignorance are. Do you? Or- yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do. Okay. I did. I was able to actually ask one of my friends um, just, just to get his perspective. Um, and so I, I, I hit up my friend Simon. Uh, so shout out to Simon for, for coming through and helping us out. Um, and he said that you know his first thought was that the tools of ignorance is probably something related to cheating. Um, but he said he didn't know enough about how people cheat okay. other than pitchers. Um, and so he's, his, his line of thinking was that the tools are different cheating strategies. Gotcha. Like, like I could see like the telescope from, you know, uh, the, the shot heard around the world. <laughs> um, I could see that being considered a tool, a tool of ignorance. You're doing something okay. somewhat ignorant with it. <laughs> um, and, and that you're cheating baseball. I think as far as, 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 you know, this being a pretty, I think this is probably one of the harder terms to kind of define if yeah. you don't know what it is yeah if you're not a baseball fan you'll that. yeah yeah so i i was very impressed with that answer but uh yeah do you fill us in <laughs> yeah so uh of course tools of ignorance are just is just catcher's gear yep yep it's, it's just what it is catcher's gear tools of ignorance um I, I had no idea how that term began it's just always been in my brain uh so major league baseball on the website hopefully defined it or you know uh found the origin there uh, it was coined by catcher Harold Muddy Rule, who played from 1915 all the way to 1934. Uh, so it's meant to point out the irony that the player with the intelligence needed to be effective behind the plate would be foolish enough to play a position that required so much safety equipment. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't argue that that's not not pretty spot on because once you consider that he's talking, you know, catcher's gear was not nearly as advanced in no. as it was you know today right like so you really were you had to really uh be a tough a tough player oh my goodness behind the plate without all, a lot of that I, I always i don't like it but it always interests me uh to see the hands of old catchers and just how gnarled and odd they are the mitts they're just mitts yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 it is a funny uh it's a funny dichotomy to think you know, yeah. you've got to be, you know, the catcher is widely regarded as one of the, you know, if not the most important position on the baseball field, because most of the plays run through them, right? Mm-hmm. The game calling and all that. And that obviously takes quite a bit of strategy and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> the ability to think critically. And it's just hilarious that at the same time, they're putting themselves directly <laughs> in harm's way with the bat and the now we're throwing 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. breaking pitches break 20 feet. Like it is it is a uh, like a self-inflicted kind of um, tools of ignorance. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, but it also I think it is cool how it also creates a bit of a like a catching fraternity uh, between these 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 old catchers that uh <laughs> You all came up, you know, around similar times. Yep. It's, it's cool. But uh, yeah, tools of ignorance. It's I think that's probably one of the the harder words. I w- I w- yeah, especially if you had didn't watch baseball, you'd have no idea what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, so put a lid back on the pickle jar. It's time for Home Sweet Home, a study of weird stadium features. Woo. Now, this conversation, this actually grew out of a conversation about baseball that I was having with my girlfriend, Mia. Um, So for a little bit of background, she's a big basketball fan. And of course, basketball courts, they all have the same dimensions. They're all indoors. They're all 
fairly standardized, right? The hoops are all the same height. Um, yeah, they're exactly standardized. Exactly. <laughs> they're all standard. Yeah, you, you're right. Um, and so we were having a discussion about about how that's not the case in baseball. And I had never I've always thought of it being a a really cool part, a really cool aspect of the game that each home field has its own character, right? Mm-hmm. Its own quirks, its own weird features. And I had never really considered it something that would be, I don't know, just un. I mean, she was talking about, you know, it sounds unbalanced. It sounds frustrating. And it definitely is all of those things. Yes, it is. It totally is. Um, But it was just kind of interesting to get that perspective from someone who was, you know, baseball is not their their top sport, you know, because I I think I kind of. Yeah. and, And it was funny. I was just having a conversation with a friend as well. And they didn't know that. Baseball fields were different dimensions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, and it 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 really when you think about it from a sports a, in general. Yeah, just or just an equity standpoint for for teams, like it, <laughs> it's really weird that you can have different <laughs> dimensions because I don't think any other sport does that. Soccer, it's all the same. Well, no, it's mostly the same, but they different sizes in the field. Okay, okay, I, I didn't know that that different. That, that was, I mean, it's nothing like baseball differences, but there's, there's still some yeah. differences. But yeah, nothing else really. Yeah, that's that's just super. It's it's super interesting. So I guess my question to kind of get into this discussion because that's what I was saying. I was like, it gives us an opportunity for some really weird, really. I think the right term is arcade style baseball mm-hmm. um, in a certain way because that's what it kind of feels like. Is like when you play, you know, uh, like a Mario Kart track, right? And I don't know. There's like special power-ups or or, or or something on the track that, that helps one character over another. I don't know. Maybe not how Mario Kart works. Um, but anyway, this this is all to say, uh, like, just go, before we get into this, are you pro or or con? Like, where are you at with the unique field dimensions? You oh, I, I absolutely love it. Okay. It, it just gives baseball more character, which it always so desperately needs. And it, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that was what you were going to say. I just wanted to get a read of the Okay. Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so now we're going to go into just very briefly just 10 of the 10 of the weirdest stadium features in baseball history. Okay. Um, <laughs> for better or worse. So, at number 10, uh these are roughly ordered um but not like super ordered. So if you're hearing this and you're like, "Why wasn't this number 1?" Don't get mad at me. It's a list. Um so number 1 or 10, I guess. The foul territory at the Oakland Coliseum. Um, so for those of you that are unfamiliar, uh, and this is also a a segment that as we kind of read stadiums, it might help you to just kind of Google on your phone, get some images just to kind of see what we're talking about, um, as we go. But Oakland Coliseum, uh, what, what, when the Diamondbacks go to Oakland, what is your thought? Because I hate play. I hate watching Oakland. There's just so much room in foul territory. Uh, it's absolutely insane. So a pop-up that should be like in the 12th row in the foul side isn't out. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the most in MLB by far. But I guess I, I do love pitcher's duels. So I, that, that part of the me should absolutely love it. Well, I, I, I am a fan of pitcher's duels as well. And, you know, it is interesting because it. I, I wonder if there's an ec- some economic, I mean, besides the fact that they don't want to... You know, <laughs> anyway uh i wonder if there's like economic back like a basis for that in that you know focusing on pitching kind of helps them save money when they have all that foul territory to really play to their stadium strengths well 
I, considering the athletics history of spending or yeah that that was my thought they probably just don't want to pay enough to extend the field there uh of course they had the football team in there for a while too which kind of changed the dimensions yeah. of the field yeah exactly so okay so we're gonna do this so so scale of one to one to seven how how offensive do you think the foul territory is in oakland it is as offensive as you using a one to seven scale and not a one to ten scale I don't like one to 10 scales because they're very arbitrary and everyone gives everything a seven or an eight. It's great inflation. It's a real problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, you had that ready to go. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So one to seven offensive. It's honestly like a three, like a three. Yeah. yeah I, don't, it's, I don't think it's too bad. It's, it's, it's something you can work around. Okay. Now, now hear me out for this. So number two or number nine, rather we have, the ceiling of the Metrodome. The Metrodome is where the Twins used to play, and it was, well, it was a dome, uh, one of the first uh, domes in baseball, and it had a white ceiling. (laughs) Now, you might be sitting at home thinking, like, why does that matter? It's the ceiling. The game is on the ground. Well, when somebody would hit a fly ball into the air, it made it difficult for the fielders to actually track them. Uh, So it gave Twins outfielders who were used to playing at home and used to having to pick out the white ball silly, the white background... (laughs) It gave them a, a slight advantage on fly balls. Um, this, I think, is one of the sneakier. I, you know, one. Of, this would just be annoying. I feel like I, if I was an outfielder, I would be really bitter about this having to, mm-hmm. go, to go to play the Twins in this stadium. Um, and I just feel like it's one of those things that I, I get that the the Minnesota outfielders, you know, can get used to it and get reps in. And I just don't know if it would still be just not worth the impedance on my, our own fielders. You know. Yeah, uh, so things like Oakland, and we'll get some other stadiums, are shaped the way they are or, you know, formed the way they are for a reason. But these guys just, you know, painted something differently. (laughs) I think it would be cool to have, like, like, like if you're going to have a dome, like, white is such a boring color. Like, get someone to do, like, this is, like, like some kind of baseball Sistine Chapel up there, you know? Like, (laughs) let's get some some artwork going. Um, (laughs) So, Metrodome ceiling, where are you at? Scale one to seven. Is that worse or? Oh, that's much worse. That's much worse than foul territory. Um, Just because it could also possibly interact with the safety of fans looking up at the pot flies. That's going to be a six. That's true. A six out of seven. Yeah, man. That that white dome, you can change that. Oh, you could have changed it. It's true. All right. Yo, hey, <laughs> I don't like this one. <laughs> so, so I'm revealing. I have these all highlighted out. So I, I'm getting the element of surprise, surprise for Brandon. But we're going to Chase Field. I think this is one of the cooler uh, installations, and it actually doesn't affect the field of play. Uh, the Diamondbacks just have a swimming pool out in the outfield. It's really cool. Um, I have in the notes. It, it gives for a refreshing swim on a division clinching day. That's a very different story. Uh, but yeah, the pool, unfortunately, it's not actually in play. You're not going to have the right fielder dive and land into the pool, which would be awesome. Uh, but people do hit home runs in there and it's a you know, pool shot that makes me happy. Do you Have you ever been, been into the pool? No, but according to my sixth grade teacher, he was a lifeguard at the pool for about two seasons. Oh, so that's, that that's a cool little gig, yeah. That's, that's very nice. But no, I, I've never ponied up that money to go hang I, out in the pool. I think that they should move the pool closer, like, and and even if it's not in the field of play, it would be cool to have it back up to the fence, to where a fielder could rob a like hypothetically. Okay, get the glove wet. <laughs> well, if if Jackie Bradley Jr. was running full tilt to, to to rob a home run and and fell over the fence in the pool, 
that would be an all-time. If, if he can jump over that fence, he deserves to get go in the pool. That's a mighty that's high fence. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Move it, move it closer. Yep. You know? All right. Uh, so what's what, what we got next? Okay, move. Keeping it moving. Uh, we're just going to talk about the Marlins Park and their. So the Marlins, for those of you who don't know, they have a they have a really cool aquarium behind home plate. Um, it's, it's not directly behind the backstop, but it's like built into it. So there's like fish and stuff. I don't know. I think that's pretty cute, but they had this awful, horrendous home run statue out in center field up, Loved up it. until, you know, the, I think it was last two years. They, they moved it out of the, out in front of the park. If you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, please do yourself a favor and go on YouTube and Google Marlin's home run statue, you know, cause it lights up and it spins is the ugliest, most garish statue. It's I think. bombastic. It's it's bold. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's really it's very colorful, and I I think it's very lively, and I just also think it's a really bad fit. <laughs> um, and and I think that ever since they got rid of it out there, the park has actually it's looked a lot better. It's it's kind of more of a va- a vapor wavy kind of like cool Florida, and is. I don't know, but I like I like the park now, even if it is just cavernous. It is, but I mean, a gaudy statues in Florida. I'm here for it. All right, all right. Um, now this one is interesting because it actually doesn't really have much to do with the actual dimensions of the field itself. It do, it has a little to deal to deal with it, but we're talking about the Coors Field um, and and the elevation effect. Uh, where baseballs, uh, they fly further when you go to Coors Field. That's why they have more home runs hit at, you know, at Coors Field than, you know, on a rate basis than pretty much anywhere, right? Um, until very in the last few years, they installed a humidor to try to negate some of that, uh, some of that effect. Now, as as a fellow NL West fan, um, do you enjoy when the Diamondbacks go go and play in Coors? Uh, when the Diamondbacks are on top, or if I know my favorite pitcher isn't playing in Coors Field, <laughs> I really do enjoy the game. It just feels like afternoon baseball. It's it's a beautiful park, and I think that's what I think that's really the shame is that they it's really difficult to to completely negate that. Yeah, you, you can't change physics that much. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and 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 it's a shame that you know because I think that well, similar to the athletics, that's something that the Rockies front office or you know in theory has been trying to build build into you know their team structure and and you know getting a lot of ground ball pitchers and you know getting a lockdown bullpen to middling results a couple of years ago um, rockies front office with foresight bold yeah i, I don't know <laughs> anyway but chorus field i think that's probably it may be the least or maybe one of the most subtle uh things here since it's not like a physical like statue or part of the park mm-hmm. but I, I would i would think that this is probably the most impactful of of all of the Oh yeah, yeah. Would you agree? Of all the, um, of all the ones you've seen so far, absolutely. Okay, okay. So now we're gonna get real weird with it. And if you've kind of been following along and you're a football or a basketball fan, and you're like, "Wow, this is really dumb that all of these baseball teams play by essentially different rules at their home parks." Uh, well, you're, you're gonna hate this. Um, so <laughs> at Tropicana Field, uh, commonly refer- referred to as the Trop or Costco. Um, it's where the Tampa Bay Rays play and it, it's very interesting because it's a very large dome and 
running across the top of the dome are catwalks. Mm -hmm. Now, these catwalks are in play. Granted, they're so high up that you wouldn't think that it was possible to hit them. However, if a ball strikes either of the lower two catwalks, uh, known as the C or D rings, um, or any lights in there, um, that's that's considered a home run. Um, now, if it strikes, it, it, it strikes uh, you know either the upper catwalks, known as the A ring or the B ring, um, including any of the support beams or anything like that, it's actually still in play. So you could feasibly hit a ball super high into the air, have it clack yeah. off of one of those B or C rings, and then get caught by a fielder, and then you're out. And that's happened a couple times. <laughs> it happened as recently as is the playoffs. I think Nelson Cruz hit a hit a towering fly ball that that clanked off of something in the catwalk. And I don't remember if it was caught or not or if it dropped. But what's really interesting is when you see one of those moonshot fly balls out there, you see the outfielder kind of like settling under. And then sometimes you'll see them kind of freeze. And then you just see a look of panic set in as they realize the balls hit off of something up top. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have to like sprint in a couple feet or or go to their left or right. And I think I think it's just so weird that they're considered in play. Like, there's no reason for this. <laughs> yeah, I guess the first time they had to come into action was in the old Astro Dome, because that was the first dome, the eighth one to the world. And so they had to make up rules as to what happens if you hit the ceiling. Yeah, and and something I didn't touch on, but if a ball just gets hit onto one of those, those catwalks, <laughs> um, it's just a double. <laughs> so, like, if you hit a ball that gets stuck on, like, a... I don't know, a railing or something. You get two bases. It's just so weird that there's like a... It's almost like playing... It, <laughs> it, it's just weird to think that there's obstacles above the field of play. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I think that it'd be cool like to take it a step further and have like, I don't know, maybe like targets or something up there. <laughs> um, I don't know. May, make it more of a mini golf atmosphere. Sure, yeah. My, my hot take... <laughs> My hot take is that the Trop is actually a pretty cool stadium. Um, it's it's definitely and that's when it's full because when it's full and playoff baseball like we saw, you know, recently they illuminate the top of the dome with these brilliant purple lights and it's really really it's fun. pretty. Mm -hmm. It's just when there's nobody there, it's kind of depressing. Um, okay, so now we're we're almost through it through our list. Uh, and we can't get through a weird stadium conversation without talking about the polo ground. Oh my goodness, about time. <laughs> the polo ground. So for those of you who don't know, the polo grounds, it's an old, old ballpark. I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that, any of you, for those of you who don't know, the polo grounds, it's an old, old ballpark uh, where the New York Giants used to play. And what makes it unique is that the dimensions are probably the most um, ridiculous field dimensions in any any stadium period. It is my favorite perk of all time, just for this reason. Um, so to left field, uh, it, it's it's 279 feet. Uh, to right field, it's even shorter. It's 258 feet. Well, that's not bad. For context, for context, I'm going to pull it up right now. A Little League field. Uh, the, the fence, the minimum fence distance is 200 feet. So you're telling me that major league stadium is only 58 feet further, um, to right field and only, you know, about like 79 feet further to left. It's like, like it's, it's like hitting bouncy balls at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's hilarious. And if you think that that sounds just super unfair, well, listen to this center field was 483 feet away. 
it was the deepest park in major league history. Like, like you can't. Well, yeah. it, 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 it literally, I don't know, Brandon, do you play any MLB the show? I, I did for a while. Yeah. For a little bit. I don't know if you ever played at the polo grounds, but I tried so hard to hit a home run out. out to oh, every time. Every time you try to hit the polo grounds. I think the best I did, I hit it off of the fence once with Frank Thomas. And that that's the best I could do. But meanwhile, you could you could get jammed and break your bat and just pop one over the fence and, and right or left field. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really cool and it's 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 yeah, if if we had to play a, a playoff series in the polo grounds today. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't go over too well. <laughs> oh, I would I absolutely love it. Oh, I would love it too. It'd, just, it'd be entertaining. Um, now, I, I do want to point out really quick that you mentioned it was the longest, um, the farthest to center field. Is it not? It is not. That's Braves Field in Boston, whose center field was 550 feet straight away. Wow. That <laughs> is a good place to be a pitcher. Yes, <laughs> or a terrible place because if it gets by your guy, it's that's a home run. Also, also true. Yeah, I mean, a lot of potential for inside the Parkers. But uh, just to to keep it going here, um, <laughs> I have in the <laughs> notes. It, <laughs> it just says everything about Minute Maid Park. This is a personal choice, and I'm going to go on a rant. Um, Tall's Hill. So for those of you, I, you got to get this out of the way. Tall's Hill. For those of you who don't know what this is, Tall's Hill is is they used to have a, a straight up hill with a flagpole in the field of play in center field mm-hmm. i'm not kidding it was a little inclined so right at the very tip center field uh, right before we get to the wall um incline so it goes from the safety track uh, the warning track with the dirt and it goes back to grass as you go up an incline with a flagpole in play like how how asinine is that? Like, that is the most, like, and, and a lot of these, I'm not going to lie, like, I enjoy a lot of these dumb, you know, field quirks, but that is dangerous to have a flagpole in center field. You know, if you're, granted, did it, it was very rare for someone to hit a ball to the, the Tall's Hill all the way out in center field, but. So I, I, I'm sorry, I, I kind of like Tall's Hill, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I love the y- unique identity of it, and it was a lot of fun. I remember. The highlight, I think it's Jim Edmonds doing an over the shoulder laying out catch on Talis Hill. That had to hurt horribly, uh, but yeah. it looked cool. Oh, trust me. Like, as a fan, I think it's it's probably the most interesting. Um, of course, you have the monster, but probably the most interesting field quirk. But I think from a practical gameplay standpoint, very irresponsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, you have a flagpole in the field of play. I don't know. It's it's just just look like like any of this. Look it up and tell me like like <laughs> it just 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 you got to see it for yourself. It's hill. <laughs> Moving beyond the big silly hill out in center field. Oh, more things you don't like. Excellent. More things I don't like. I told you it's a rant. It's the train. They've just got a giant train up in left field. You don't like the um, choo choo man? No, I don't like the choo. No, I. <laughs> I, and I'm a train guy, so that's that's really saying something. So, <laughs> the the train that every time they hit a home run, they blow that. And and I'm not gonna lie, of course, this has a fair amount of bias because I have flashbacks to hearing that train sound go off, that that horn go off in my head in in 2017. But I can't stand it. It's just so loud, and I I maybe it's me not understanding the connection to Astros being a a. You know, a, a space theme and or a, a train. Houston being a good train town. I sure. Okay, 
but it's it's I don't know it, it's that's just me being a grumpy old man about about old about loud noises. I guess. What next don't you like? The next thing I like, and I think honestly, this this is probably the least unique thing about about current Minute Maid Park, but also probably the most impactful is the Crawford boxes in left field. <laughs> the Crawford boxes in left field are the most aggravating. Um, short porch in baseball and i know i understand that the yankees also have a uh, like a signature short porch as well nothing to take away from them um and you know it's just we only have 10 slots here so whatever uh, but the crawford boxes are the one ones i have more experience with because i cannot tell you how many times i've seen a weak fly ball off of the bat off of the hands it just gets it out just, of there just gets out of there just barely. And then every time I, you know, you'll go on Twitter and you'll see that was only a home run in one out of 30 ballparks. And then you want to throw your phone through a wall. You know, it's just <laughs> and that's that's the thing that really I think that is has been made very interesting just based on, you know, all having all this data just readily available mm-hmm. um, and just how fast social media makes things available is that you can see way you know how a ball would have played at other stadiums very quickly like within a matter of minutes after it's it's hit in real time and it's so frustrating to see a ball hit against your team that was just like had like you know just horrible peripherals meaning that it was supposed to be an out nine times out of ten necessarily and it just gets out over the Crawford uh, out over the wall and you know it's a home run because of that specific park and that's what what it just for me the Crawford boxes are the one place that I've seen that happen the most. And so it's just burned into my head. Um, it's also scary because I feel like they, <laughs> maybe this is just, man, you really don't like minute made park. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't mean to rant like this. So I'll wrap it up, but it's just it's dangerous. For, you know, think of John Carlos Stan, like you're actually really close to the field, which is cool. I just feel like there needs to be a little net. Maybe. I don't know. Cause I just, I, Guys hit the ball hard these days. You know, Stanton <laughs> hits the ball out there, 120 miles an hour. I don't know. It's 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 scary. But just to wrap things up, you can't get through this conversation without talking about Wrigley Field and the Ivy out there on the outfield. Um, that's provided a series of great moments from baseballs getting lost in it. So fly balls being hit into the Ivy and then having multiple baseballs fall out. Good times. Um, so I think the Wrigley Field Ivy and it also the brick wall, uh, it, it's just it adds so much character to the stadium. Um, it, it, it's what that's why Wrigley Field's one of the most iconic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. venues in in America. Um, and of course, it goes hand in hand with the green monster um, in Boston. That is the well, it's it's a monster of a wall in left. Hey, um, so between those two signature stadium features, which one is your favorite? Between the the ivy and the monster, um, well, I just like the ivy. It feels like summer baseball when it's out in green. Yeah. It feels feels nice. Uh, green monster, you know, it's it's fine. I think the green monster to me, <laughs> I I think I would like the Crawford boxes more if they it was just a higher fence like the green monster. <laughs> I, I, I know you don't want to off the green monster. I think the green monster is entertaining because it's almost like a strength competition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just who can just just get the the arc and the the you know the force into it to just get the ball out and you you know if you can get that that angle to consistently hit balls over like you don't have to hit it as far right. right. Um, but I will say this: I think that the presence of the green monster detracts from the true um, 
the the true issue uh, with with Fenway Park, and that is pesky pole. Oh, I was thinking the prices of the hot dogs, but pesky pole, man. <laughs> yeah, the prices of the hot dogs. Sure, <laughs> um, that that's that's not necessarily unique to or <laughs> to to Boston. But <laughs> pesky pole. So you've got the green monster in left field, which is this hulking fence, and then in pesky uh, or in right field, you so so it goes. Um, let me pull up the dimensions real quick. So to left field, the monster, it's only 310 feet. To center field, it's considerably further, uh, 389. And the deepest part of the park is 420 feet to deep right center. Now, that said, to right field, it's only 302 feet. Um, and it, it's really interesting because it goes out, the field goes out so far to right center that the fence actually has to come around and kind of like curve in uh, to meet the dimension uh, and to meet the pesky pole, the foul pole in right field. So what's cool is depending on where players are positioned, um, for example, I saw a clip years ago of Mookie Betts, um, because I guess he used to play on a different team at one point in his career, um, where he actually was playing right field for the Red Sox and somebody hit a a tailing ball, a ball that was a fly ball, pretty weakly hit, tailing towards the, uh, the foul pole. And Mookie Betts actually runs in and reaches over the fence and robs the home run. And it's so it's I think the only one of the only places you can rob hmm. a home run by running in. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 called the pesky pole because it's just I mean, it's named Isn't it named after a person? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was, that was like Jonathan Pesky because he would constantly hit the ball in that area. He needed that that pole there so he could hit home runs. I think that's the story behind Pesky's pole. Okay. Okay. Well, I think, I think, you know what, that's, that's something we'll have to, we'll have to go into greater detail. Cause this is, I feel like just Fenway park and Wrigley specifically deserve their own, their own. Their yeah, own that's focus, true. Right. Just as being so, so, uh, just so important to baseball history. So we'll put a pin in that and we'll save that for an upcoming episode. Where we'll get all into the legends and, and history behind pesky pole and the green monster, uh, and Fenway park. Um, but just before we close things out, um, do you have a favorite stadium quirk? Well, first of all, you, you said we're the stadiums in baseball history. And man, you whew, we got to talk about earlier from the 50s because there were some funky oh, yeah. uh, stadiums this out is, there. This is definitely not. OK, just make, make, making sure we we'll get in there. We only had 10. You know, it, it was there were. If, if we went to – I didn't want to be talking f- for three hours about stadiums. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I just picked 10 arbitrarily. But oh, arbitrarily. Okay. Gotcha. So I won't talk about the Baker Bowl or the Coliseum or how baseball has got their – you know, fields got the f- shape in the first place. What I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, if I was creating a stadium, I would like Ivy and the Green Monster combined. I think that would be a neat little thing. I like I Ivy. Ivy over the Green Monster? Yeah. <laughs> interesting um i would have a train because I, I like trains sure um i want that course field elevation and the foul territory of oakland stadium you're just making a, a frankenstein's monster. i am so back when you can create parks and like and will be the show and things like that i'd make the craziest shape perks and i loved every single moment <laughs> okay okay i i mean I'm a, I'm a big fan of those those things too but i would hate playing in your stadium I, i'm not gonna lie <laughs> oh but it'd be great to watch <laughs> It'd be, it'd be a great game. That's true. Um, is there a specific, so would you say the Ivy's like your favorite or the monster? Is there like another stadium? Like, I, I definitely don't think the monster's one of my favorites. It's just unique enough to combine with the Ivy, uh, but least favorite, least favorite? um, 
Well, I, I guess now that we know the metrodome ceiling, the whiteness, that's <laughs> just a terrible feature all, all over. Yeah, that's true. What about you? Well, besides, you know, Tells I, Hill. I've said my piece. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone wants to hear any more from me on, on yeah, it. It's really just, just Minute Maid. It's, one it's, more it's, thing about Minute Maid is the AC is never right where it needs uh, to be. You know, the trash cans. Um, yeah, it's it's it, for me. I think if if I had to just pick something, you know, I I I I don't really hate a lot of these weird quirks. Even Coors Field, it's annoying to play in. It's especially <laughs> annoying when you know you've got one of your favorite pitchers going in there, and you're like, "Great, are we?" Oh, I hate that. Um, but it all adds character, and that's where I think baseball really excels. You know, and, and it's. It's yeah, there's points where it's incredibly frustrating. There's points that I, you know, it, it I hate about, you know, weird stadium quirks. Heck, I remember a, a grand slam that I think in 2019, um, we were playing the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers were playing the Diamondbacks, and I think they hit a grand slam. Might have been CJ Crone, and it was something mm-hmm. that just was not supposed to be a home run. And it just wrapped around. It was in right field. Just happened to scrape over the fence. And it was like, that's a home run in two ballparks. And it's like those moments, you hate it. You hate it. But the bigger picture, I just, I love it because mm-hmm. it, it's it's history. And it's weird. It's wonky. It's imperfect. And that's baseball. You know, Sounds like short hops and tall tails to me. <laughs> emphasis on the imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, that uh, that will just about wrap things up for us here tonight. Uh, pretty full episode. We covered a lot of ground, started off talking about one of the greatest catchers of the generation. Uh, and wow, tools of ignorance. We tied that in. I didn't even realize we were doing that in the moment. You must have. <laughs> oh, I know this. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and then we close things out with some weird stadium stuff, which we're definitely going to have to go uh, more in depth on in the future. <laughs> Entire episode about Minute Maid Park. Untapped. No, no, I think we've covered <laughs> just such an un- untapped reservoir of, of just really fun stories. Um, but if you liked uh, this week's episode, please be sure to follow along uh, with us on Twitter at ShorthopsPL. Follow Brandon at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A. Scott 6. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review if you like. Um, just a reminder, uh, we're back on the bi-weekly schedule, so we're dropping a new episode every two weeks. It comes out on Friday morning, so just keep an eye open for that. Or like I said, subscribe to us and you'll have it right in your feed when it comes out. So for Brandon Riddle, uh, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time. <laughs>